The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Um, let me read our passage. We're going to be looking at John chapter 4, verses 39 to 54 this morning. <clears throat> now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said, and they told the woman, We no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. After two days, he left there for Galilee. Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When they entered Galilee... The Galileans welcomed him because they had seen everything he did in Jerusalem during the festival, for they also had gone to the festival. He went again to Cana of Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a certain royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, however, he went to him and pleaded with him to come down and heal his son since he was about to die. Jesus told him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Sir, the official said to him, Come down before my boy dies. Go, Jesus told him. Your son will live. The man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. While he was still going down, his servants met him, saying that his boy was alive. He asked them at what time he got better. Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him, they answered. The father realized that this was the very hour at which Jesus had told him, your son will live. So he himself believed, along with his whole household. Now this was also the second sign Jesus performed after he came from Judea to Galilee. Thanks, Jimmy. might just open in prayer. I need lots of prayer, so... Lord, we thank you uh, that we can all be here together this morning, Lord. Uh, We thank you for your word um, and how easily it is for us to access it, Lord. Uh, Lord, we pray for myself, Jared and Michael, Lord, that you'll be with the three of us, Lord. Be more of you, less of us, Lord. We pray that it's your words and not our words, Lord, and that your name will be honoured and glorified. Amen. Amen. So I was thinking this week, has there been maybe someone famous that you've met or someone that's inspired you to get into something? Uh, Maybe watching the Matildas this year has got you into soccer or maybe you've met someone that got you into a particular career. Um, Or even looking at advertising, have you been sucked into buying something because you saw someone famous using it or someone on TikTok or something like that? The big companies, they don't use no names. They use the big names, famous people to try and get things across the line. Today's word in Jordan shows us that God works very differently to the world that we live in. We're following on from the last few weeks uh, with Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well. A quick recap. So we've got Jesus and the disciples are traveling from Jerusalem down to Galilee. As we heard two weeks ago, uh, normally the Jews um, wouldn't travel um, through Samaria um, due to their hatred and racism towards the Samaritans. They would normally take the long route, go across the Jordan and head down the east of Samaria. But Jesus doesn't follow the Jewish route, he goes through Samaria and meets the woman at the well and defies the norms of this time. A Jew would not normally speak to a Samaritan, let alone a woman in this time. 
Jesus knew who she was. He knew her past, but this doesn't change how he interacts with her. The woman then leaves and goes back home and tells everyone about Jesus. In the passage that Jimmy just read, uh, we follow on with this story and see how the Samaritans react and then believe after hearing what the woman has said about Jesus. Jesus then stays with the Samaritans for two days where many more believed. I'm just going to be looking at the first um, three, three or four verses of this. Um, and sort of, I've got sort of two main points that we're sort of going to look at this morning. First being that God can use anyone to further his kingdom. And the second being that God wants a personal relationship with each of us. So if we look from verse 39. Now many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of what the woman had said when she testified. He told me everything I ever did. In this story, God does not pick, cherry pick the best of the best. He does not look and go, all right, who's going to give me the best bang for buck and who's going to convert the most people with their awesome speaking ability or their social standing or anything like that. This woman was a wreck. She was shunned by people in our own hometown. That's why she was at the well by herself in the middle of the day. But not only was she rejected by any hometown, but her hometown was the Samaritans, which the Jews despised. And then to add to this, being a woman meant she had a low social standing in this time. So realistically, Jesus is picked who we would probably assume would be the worst person to further his kingdom. But that's what makes this story so awesome for us today. She is no one special. She did not know it all. She just shares her experience and her testimony, and God does the rest. Often we think we're not good enough, or we need the perfect story, or we need more knowledge. Then I'll be ready. Then that's when God can use me. When in reality, we're all so broken, we're never going to be enough on our own. God wants us to plant the seed, follow his will, and he does the changing in people's hearts. There are so many examples of this in the Bible. We've got David, Paul, Moses. Even if you look at Moses, he had a speech impediment. He was reluctant to follow God's call, but God uses him to stand against Pharaoh and lead the Israelites out of Egypt, making him one of the most influential characters in the Bible. Another example of God being able to use anyone is me just standing up here today. <laughs> when I first started serving here at LCC, I was helping out setting out the chairs and doing things like that, um, which then we were talking one life group about I don't know how we were talking about it, but about how sort of helping out the church and things. And I was saying how I love it because I feel like I'm helping, but also I'm not in the limelight. No one really notices you and it's pretty good. Uh, which then, I think it was Michael and Jared both threatened that they were going to tell Jimmy that I should do something up the front or something like that. <laughs> anyway, what do you know? The next, literally the next morning, I have a message from Jimmy saying, do you want to do some <laughs> service leading? Which these guys still promised they didn't say anything, but I don't know. <laughs> Anyway, I reluctantly said yes, even though I definitely do not feel equipped and I, I don't enjoy public speaking. Um, every time on a Sunday morning, like before I get up, I'm, I'm an absolute wreck. Um, often can't have brekkie or anything beforehand because I'm so nervous. I feel like I stuff my words up and I'm thinking, why am I doing this? I often even just want to halfway through just say to Jimmy, hey, you can do the rest because you're so much better than me. <laughs> But what it does do, though, is make me wholeheartedly trust God because I know I literally simply cannot do it in my own strength. And this is just a time that I've said yes. Like We'd be here literally all day if I told you about the many times that I have not done something 
because I think I'm not ready or I don't have the skills or I don't have the knowledge yet. This teaches us something we often forget, that God is enough and is not, nothing that we can do on a, on a, of, of ourselves. We then follow on in verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said, and they told the woman, We no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know this really is the saviour of the world. God wants a personal relationship with each and every one of us. As we read um, through here, the Samaritans lived in and through um, the belief of the woman when she told them. We can only speculate, but it's a good chance this was more a superficial belief. Uh, One that during tough times will waver quickly and you change your mind and and change um, what you believe in. They then spent time with Jesus and had their own encounter. They did not believe because of any big miracles or anything fancy, just by spending time with Jesus. This then shifted from believing because of her word to a personal knowledge and a personal relationship with Jesus. He does not want us just to believe and just follow because all our friends or our family are doing it. Um, it's not something we can just add to what we're doing and just follow a few rules and she'll be right sort of thing. He, want, he wants a personal relationship with each and every one of us. My testimony fits a similar picture to this. Um, I grew up in a Christian home, went to a Christian school. Um, so probably the first few years of my faith really just followed, followed my parents and probably just lived through their faith. I still remember being a young fellow and thinking, oh yeah, I'll become a Christian, sure, that'll just make things easier. It was then during my teenage years where I had some challenging times which really tested this sort of superficial faith. There was a period of about six or so years where my dad got really unwell, I was bullied at school, um, had my cousin pass away in a footy accident um, and also had my own health issues as well. Seeing how my dad and other people um, during these times drew closer to God really showed me what, what I could do. It was through these tough times where I had then my own encounters with God and then my belief wasn't because of my parents anymore but it was because of my own personal relationship with Jesus. Do you think we can often overcomplicate our beliefs sometimes? Thinking we need fancy devotions or thinking we need to have our life all together or we, we just need to read so that we can answer all the big questions. But just like the Samaritans, we just need to spend time with Jesus. Even as simple as just listening to, sitting there listening to some worship music, praying, speaking with Jesus about your day and spending time in his word. The verse finishes with, Since we have heard for ourselves, we know that this really is the saviour of the world. Jesus came to earth to be our saviour of the world. He did not come to condemn, but to save us from our sins. There is no sin too big. There's no person who sins too much. Jesus has dealt with all that sin when he died on the cross for us. His grace overflows and there's no limit to it. If you're here and you don't know him as your personal saviour, we'd love for you to spend some time with Jesus. And we'd love for you to consider believing, just like the Samaritans, that Jesus really is the saviour of the world. Thank you. You can be seated. If, uh, if the three of us weren't nervous enough, I love that today is like the most people I've ever seen here, so... <laughs> Good, but um, anyway, uh, so that's awesome. 
Um, so I'm just going to be continuing through um, the passage. So I'll be looking at verses 43 to 48. Um, so in this next section of the passage, we'll see a uh, completely different response to that of the Samaritan people. Rather than believing in Jesus because of who he is, like the Samaritans, we see the Galileans welcome and accept Jesus because of the miracles he performed. The Galileans had not yet moved their belief beyond the signs and wonders to believe in Jesus who has revealed himself as the Messiah, as the one who God sent to offer eternal life. Through this passage, we can see John is pointing us to the importance of believing in Jesus because of who he is, rather than just coming to him when it's inconvenient for us or when we're in need of a miracle. Before we work through this section of the passage, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you have given us your written word so that we can know more about you, the one who sent your son to take our place so that we can be made right with you. I ask that as we work through this passage, you would speak through your word and reveal to us truths about who you are and about how you love us. I pray that this would be an encouragement to each and every one of us in our faith. Amen. Cool. So um, let's pick up in verse 43. Hopefully it will pop up. Oh, look at that. Um, so after two days, he left there for Galilee. So here we see Jesus is continuing on his journey um, through Samaria to Galilee, following the two days he had spent with the Samaritan people, as um, Jared just spoke on. Um, John prefaces Jesus' return to Galilee uh, with a proverb in verse 44. So Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honour in his own country. This prepares us, uh, the readers, to expect a fairly cold uh, an uninviting response to Jesus' return. We expect the Galileans to be uninterested. Perhaps those that knew Jesus as a child would still see him in the same way, unimpressed by who he's become and who he claims to be. Much to our surprise, however, Jesus is welcomed by the people. In verse 45, when they entered Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him because they had seen everything he did in Jerusalem during the festival, for they also had gone to the festival. Um, so this here refers to the signs that Jesus had performed at the Passover feast, uh, which we read about earlier in John, um, chapter 2, verse 23. So it says, While he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many people believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. So while many of the Galilean people would have attended this feast and seen the miraculous signs and wonders performed by Jesus. John does not actually elaborate on exactly what these signs and wonders were, um, but it would appear as though they were significant enough for the Galileans to stand up and take notice. And unlike the Samaritans who believed in Jesus because of who he is, the Messiah and the one who offers living water, the Galileans welcomed Jesus because of what he had done the performances of miraculous signs and wonders. Now, I'm not sure if any of you knew someone as a child who went on to become famous or well-known for something. Um, I went to a small school in Toowoomba. Um, no one's done anything just yet, but you never know. It's uh, never too late. Um, but let's imagine that perhaps you went to school with uh, Hugh Jackman, uh, and since then he's gone on to become a star on Broadway and featured in many films like X-Men, Australia... Um, and he's uh, been seen by millions of people. 
I could imagine that if Hugh returned home to Australia, people in his hometown would offer a similar response to that of the Galileans. Hugh would be welcomed into the community and many people would want to meet with him for a taste of his fame. Perhaps you would want him to sign something for yourself. Or perhaps you'd want a little selfie for your Instagram or a little TikTok. All this fanfare isn't because we know who Hugh is personally, but it's because we've seen his wonderful performances and because we know of his fame. And we need to be careful to not fall into this type of relationship with Jesus. We cannot fall into the trap of just wanting a relationship with Jesus because he can perform miraculous signs and wonders. Only looking to him when we're in a spot of bother and could really use a way out of the messy situation we may find ourselves in. And the rest of the time, we just live our lives the way we want to, not giving Jesus any time of day. Not seeking him to know more about how deeply he loves us. A love so deep that he would die for us personally. We should want a relationship with Jesus because of who he is, not because of what his, um, the miracles he can perform. We should... Uh, one relationship because of what he did for us on the cross. So continuing in verses 46 and 47. He went again to Cana of Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a certain royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea in Galilee, into Galilee, he went to him and pleaded with him to come down and heal his son since he was about to die. So we see here the royal official approach Jesus to heal his son. And much like with the Galileans, um, he's approaching Jesus not because of Jesus' power as the Messiah, but because he has heard about Jesus' ability to heal. This official has approached Jesus for a purely transactional relationship. Just like we go to the doctor when we are sick, this man has gone to Jesus to heal his dying son. We continue in verse 48. Jesus told him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So when Jesus says, unless you people here, uh, the you is actually plural, and he's referring to not just the royal official, but more broadly to the people of Galilee. Jesus gets to the heart of the problem, that like the people of Galilee, we can only truly believe through personal relationship with him. I've gone through large periods of my life um, where I've called myself a Christian. I've been in church um, most weeks, serving um, and in home group, um, but I wasn't actually spending time with Jesus, uh, getting to know my Lord and Saviour, having a personal relationship with Him. Instead, I'd go to do the church thing on Sundays and I'd go back to the day-to-day grind and only really uh, praying or picking up the Bible and I was in a spot of bother. Perhaps I'd made a mistake at work or I was anxious about some upcoming life decisions and I would read the Bible and pray that God would fix my mistake or make it clear what decision I should make. I was just looking for a miracle, not because I had a personal relationship with him, but because I had seen and heard about this Jesus who performs miracles. After all, he wants the best for me, right? Why wouldn't Jesus fix my problem, make my life decisions and maybe even buy me a Ferrari? Still waiting on that one, but um, perhaps this is you here today. Um, perhaps you're just going through the motions of life. You may turn up to church on Sunday, Sundays and you may even be in a life group, but you aren't walking with Jesus in your day-to-day life. 
As Jesus says to his disciples later on in John chapter 14, verses 6 to 7, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you knew me, you would also know my Father as well. We need to know Jesus. uh, And the only way we can do this is by spending time with him. I know we all lead busy lives, and I know we're good at making excuses. uh, And I know this because I'm a pro in this area. Um, I don't have it sorted. Um, I'm still working on spending more time with God. But it's important that we are working at this. Not because we have to, like a chore, but because we want to in response to the incredible gift of grace we have been given. So if you're anything like me, you already know that you need to pick up your Bible more and that you need to be spending more time in prayer. As you leave here today, my hope is that rather than thinking about how much we constantly fail in this area, I hope that we leave here thinking about how much our Lord and Saviour loves us. Let's think about how Jesus died on the cross for you and me so we can be in relationship with him. He died for you and me not because we did anything to deserve it, but because he, or not because we have our lives together. Jesus died for you and me while we were still sinners. Failures and all. And he knew we would continue to sin, continue to be selfish, and continue to be distracted by the things of this world. But he died for us anyway. And the more we think about this, the harder it will be to not respond by picking up our Bible, praying, and worshipping him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that this week each and every one of us will be reminded of your love and the gift of grace that you've given us by sending your Son to die for our sins so that we can have a personal relationship with you. I pray that you will shape our hearts in response to this so that we cannot help but want to spend time with you by picking up your word, spending time in prayer with you, and by being your hands and feet to encourage our brothers and sisters around us in this area. Thank you that you love us and that you care for us. Amen. Awesome. Grab a seat. Well, I'd like to just start by saying, if it wasn't nerve-wracking enough, I get to follow after those two guys. Um, So anyway, thanks for your grace this morning. Um, I'm also just going to pray if that's all right, and we're going to just pray through Christ, not through me, real quick. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that it is your Holy Spirit uh, through us, working through us day by day, um, that even gives us the ability to believe in you. And we just pray this morning um, that you would uh, speak through me. Let it be your words. Um, Let everyone forget the words that are not yours in your mighty name. Amen. I also should have just started um, by speaking with Michael a bit more. We do have a little bit of overlap, but um, that's by God's sovereignty. So how often can we be interested in someone or something because of what they can offer rather than the person themselves? Well, this is what we see happening here. We see in the preceding verses that Michael has just been sharing that the Galileans were interested in Jesus' signs and miracles, but they were not interested in Jesus for who he was. It's into this context of a largely large group, a likely large group of people coming to Jesus and wanting all his gifts and miracles um, that the official comes to him asking to heal his son. They wanted what he could offer, but not him. The official is desperate to save his son. This man is there for his son and not for Jesus, as we would be also, I'm sure. This man, I'm 
I'm sure, came to Jesus not thinking that if Jesus was to heal his son, that he would believe in him as the son of God. He may have, but I think it is much more likely that he came to him like we would, rushing our dying child to hospital, knowing it is our best chance for saving our child. He was there for this child's immediate healing, not for his eternal future. We likewise would do just about anything in order to try and save our children. Imagine our hopelessness and desperation if we are in the same situation. And it is in this that we can see that we are just like this official. Jesus, however, knowing the heart of the official, rebukes him and the crowd, as Michael has just discussed. And then after the rebuke of Jesus, the official still replies in desperation, come before my child dies. The official, like the others, was wishing a miracle rather than Jesus. It was actually Jesus that was pursuing us and this man rather than us pursuing him. And it is in this encounter that we see that Jesus loves us and wants us more than we want and love him. Jesus knows the official's heart and all human hearts, as John previously expressed in John 2.25, when he was recording how Jesus responded to the Jews in Jerusalem. Um, And I'll read it briefly for us. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. Jesus knows that the official is just there for the healing. And it is at this moment that we get to see the wonderful compassion of Jesus and the love that he has in, in Jesus' response to him. We also get to see his compassion for us. The official believes that his greatest need is for the healing of his son. And um, Jesus, in his compassion, gives the official the healing, but he doesn't actually neglect the official's biggest problem, which is that the official actually needs him. How often do we come to Jesus and treat him like this? How often do we come to Jesus saying what we want without actually wanting him? I know I definitely see this in my own life, especially when things are tough. It is once again we see ourselves in this man. And as I said before, it is in this encounter that we see that Jesus loves us and wants us more than we want and love him. The response from Jesus then is actually rather stunning if we stop. Go, your son will live. Simple, yet profound. Jesus doesn't give him his request to come and heal his child, and nor does he deny it and not heal him. Jesus doesn't answer the official's cries for mercy in the way that we would expect him to answer our prayers, which is exactly as we've prayed them in exactly the way that we've asked. Nor does Jesus decline the official's request, given that the man is only interested in the healing and not for Jesus himself. It would seem very reasonable for Jesus to say to this man, why should I heal your son? The reason I do these miracles is to point you to me. We therefore see that Jesus doesn't choose option one, which is to answer the exact request, nor option two, which is neglect the request of the official, just because he is missing the point. However, as is usual for Jesus, he finds the third option, which shows his character, what he actually requires from us, as well as his compassion. As he does time and time again, his way of thinking is higher, and through his knowledge about our human hearts, He brings about wonderful good more than we could have ever thought. Jesus is both compassionate and clear about the need to trust and believe in him. And he manages to give the man what he wants, but also what he truly needs 
in giving him himself. So Jesus does this initially by telling him to go. The go is forceful and it is effectively a command in the original text. Jesus tells him to leave. However, he sends him with a promise. He tells him that his son will be healed. The official didn't have any proof that Jesus had healed his son and yet he was expected to go and believe him at his word. So what John then next tells us is that the official had belief in Jesus' words and he believed the words that he said and he went on his way. He had no proof, but he did have belief. This is what we saw when the Samaritans, with the Samaritans earlier in this chapter. They believed because of the words that Jesus had spoken. John then goes on to ensure that there's no room for those who might argue that this was just mere coincidence. John records the exact timing of the miracle was the same time that Jesus spoke these words to the official. Um, in verse 51, it reads, While he was still going down, his servants met him, saying that, this boy, that his boy was alive. He asked them at what time he got better. Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him, they answered. The father realized this was the very hour in which Jesus had told him, your son will live. It is here that we see the wondrous third option of Jesus playing out, as he knew it would. He healed the official's son, which is what the official actually wanted and wished, but he also healed his son via a great distance of approximately 40 kilometers at the exact time of the speaking of his word. The miracle that Jesus performs is even more miraculous than what the official was asking. Back in this period of history, the standing belief was that the prophet or miracle worker had to be physically present to perform a miracle. The belief at the time was as pervasive in culture as the current belief today that miracles simply just don't happen. John here is showing us the miraculous power of Jesus' word. Not only this, but we see that the official moves into deeper belief in Jesus, as Jared spoke about earlier, and with what we saw with the Samaritans. The official moves from a belief that Jesus is able to heal into a belief in Jesus himself, and that he is actually the Son of God, the Saviour of the world. Not only that, but his entire family put their trust and faith in Jesus because of this healing. How good is Jesus in his wisdom to bring about what we want, but more importantly, what we need? And so now at this point, I think it's important to stop and ask, why did John include this passage of Scripture? While it should be celebrated that a child is healed and a family came to Christ, why is it that John, who is so selective about the miracles he records in his gospel, chooses this one? John, as we have been saying throughout the series in chapter 20, tells us the reason for his gospel. Um, and I quote, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John, through his gospel, only mentions seven major miracles, and each one of these miracles is meant to show us a certain attribute of Jesus to bring about, his belief, to bring about this belief, and that we may believe in him as the Messiah and the Son of God. Each miracle is meant to point to an attribute of Jesus' messianic identity. So what attribute do we see? It is through this miracle that Jesus shows his amazing and mighty power, through his word alone. It shows us the power of the Messiah and that he really is the Son of God, who is more powerful than any prophet or healer. We also see that Jesus loves us and wants us more than we want and love him. And he gives us not only what we want, but what we need. The miracle is recorded by John so that we may believe in Jesus and that we may put our faith and trust in him. 
John doesn't wish for us to just treat him like some prophet or some healer, but that we should treat him as the Son of God and that all our life should be poured out as worship to him. Jesus is the mighty, powerful, true Messiah. He is the Son of God and he has come to save us. Jesus really was and is the all-powerful Son of God who came to take away the sins of the world. All of us are guilty of coming to Jesus with our wants rather than coming to Jesus for him. And yet, Jesus knew this. He died in our place anyway, and it is through his great grace and mercy that he has gifted to us that we have been saved not just from a physical death like this child, but an eternal death. What a saviour we have in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit and we thank you that you are here and that you have saved us. We thank you that even despite our complete lack of understanding and reliance on you in just not even beginning to understand our deep need for you at times, you have been so gracious to us and that you have entered in through your son Jesus, taking away our biggest problem, which is our sin, and bringing us into right standing with you. We thank you, Father. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church, located on the Sunshine Coast. We exist to make, mature, and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare, and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We provide our podcast free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.